Hey, uh, man, I'm, I'm excited to preach this morning um, because I think what we talk about here in a moment, uh, I don't know either. I don't know the last time you touched remote either is, dude. <laughs> anyway, uh, I'm really excited to talk about this morning because I think what we're talking about today really could change uh, really how your everyday life goes. Now give it up for Josh. <laughs> Our giving it up for Josh earlier might be a little premature. But you nailed it, dude. Thanks, buddy. In case I accidentally look at the TV the wrong way. Josh, how do I get this off? <laughs> you know what? Today I realized, today I realized I'm old. Because someone sent me a text that had an abbreviation. It was like one of those things. It wasn't quite LOL, but it was like that. And I thought it was, they said OMW. You don't know, y'all know what that means? Okay, I am old. I text back and said, what's wrong? <laughs> Then I saw them, I was like, are you okay? They're like, yeah. I was like, oh, sorry, I thought you said, oh, my word. <laughs> oh, that's bad. Okay. It's true. That is a true story, but it's bad. All right. I'm really excited to, to, to preach this morning because um, there's some of you in here who just, you're still trying to figure out this Jesus thing. <sighs> Maybe it wasn't the virus. You guys are really trying to figure out this Jesus thing, and it might be for you. It might not be for you. I think today, though, you can see that the Bible can apply to you also. There are some of you that have been following Jesus since day one, but still haven't been able to master, and I don't know that we ever will, what we're going to talk about today. So we've been going through a series of messages called The Story since January. The story is a book. That's all it is. It's just a book. But what they've done is they've taken the Bible and they've put it in a way that you can read it from beginning to end like a, like a story. Sometimes if you're reading through the Bible, especially in the section we are now, we're in the book of Acts and the history of the church, but then when you're finished with Acts, when you're just reading the regular Bible, um, it starts to go into some of Paul's letters. And you might think, man, this, this doesn't make sense as if you're reading a story, but what the story will do is it'll place the letters in the story of Acts where it's written. So it helps us put it all together in, in a story. And so where we are now is we are in life after Jesus. Jesus, uh, the story of Jesus told in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And that's how the New Testament begins, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then after that, we have one book. We only have one book that tells the history of the beginning of the church. And here we are still 2,000 years later uh, meeting together. And celebrating the same things they celebrated. And that's one of the goals here at Restore Church, is to do things the way God would want us to do in Acts. And so when we get to talk about the church, I want to ask just a few questions. As you could tell last week, I could talk forever about the church. <laughs> I'm going to try not to do that this week. But I want to ask you a few questions about the church. Someone who is not a Christ follower, and that might be you. When I say Christ follower, I mean what you might think of as a Christian, like what you would call Christian. How would they describe the church? Like, how would they describe what we do here? Uh, they might call it weird. They might call it cool. Hey, I appreciate what, what they do. Um, maybe they would. Uh, maybe they would actually describe Christians or what the church does as. Uh, they're not that much different than me. I mean, I know they go to church on Sunday, but uh, on Tuesday, we talked about our wives the same. Uh, I saw him interact with someone else or her interact with someone else, and 
I don't know, maybe just churches for church and not on Thursdays, right? How would people who are not a part of the church describe the church? Now, here's the second question I want to ask. How would Jesus want people who are outside of the church to describe the church? What's Jesus' desire as the descriptor for church? And remember, when we at Restore Church, maybe you're, you're new here or, or you're, you're just visiting, you're trying out churches, whatever it may be for you, uh, when, we talk, when we say the church here, we're not talking about this. We say that Sunday morning is an expression of church. We, we call this the gathering because it's corny and that's how we roll, but that's what we call it here. This is, the, this is the gathering of Restore Church, but man, we're more than just this. We're, we're building sheds, and uh, one of your church members, oh, you are kidding. It is a touch screen. Oh, I see it. This is, this is like a spaceship. Oh, it's right here. Oh, yeah. I figured it out. Hmm. How about that? Meet me outside. How about that? All right. I don't even know what I was saying. Oh, how would Jesus want people to describe the church? Um, he actually has this prayer. It's Jesus' last moments. He's, he spends his last moments in a garden praying. And uh, it, actually, in just a few moments, the guards are going to come. Judas leads them. He, Judas is going to kiss Jesus on the cheek. They're going to take him off, like literally moments after Jesus' prayer in John 17. The beginning of that prayer starts out with Jesus praying for himself. And then the next section of that prayer is Jesus praying about his disciples. God, my prayer is that they are they're in the world, but not of the world. And, and my prayer is that they, will, they would be found to, together. And then the last section of Jesus' prayer begins like this. I pray for all those who might believe in their message. That's you. If you believe in the gospel, if you believe in Jesus, that's Jesus praying for, for you. That's pretty cool. And, and for me too, not just you, but okay, I can be included in that. But Jesus is praying for us as those who would believe the gospel message later on. And he, he says this, listen to this. He says, Father, just as you and I are one, I pray that they will be one. His prayer is not for your health. Although, you know, I'm 30 and I could use some of that now. I'm feeling it. It's not for your comfort. Uh, he doesn't pray for your future. Jesus' prayer in his last moments is that, is that we, those who would believe in the gospel message, would, would, be, would be characterized as, as unified, as together. We get to this part in the book of Acts. Last week we talked through a lot, but, but it's the first nine chapters is basically the gospel staying in the city of Jerusalem. Before Jesus ascends into heaven and is gone until we see him again, uh, he leaves his disciples with this command. He says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the world. But it takes nine chapters for anything to really happen. Everything is still happening in Jerusalem. Acts is only 28 chapters long, so we're still a third. We're a third of the way in, and we haven't made it outside of Jerusalem. 
Well, the church begins to grow, and there's this confrontation in Acts chapter 6-ish between, between widows. There's the Greek widows, and then there's the Hebrew widows. And, and one of them are like, you guys aren't caring for us enough. And the other person's like, well, they should be caring for us first anyway. And so get in the back seat. And, and the, the disciples are like, dude, we don't have time for this. And so they appoint what they call the first set of deacons. And they say, we, we want you guys to take care of these things so we can commit ourselves to preaching the gospel in prayer. One of, those, one of those deacons, his name is Stephen. And Stephen says that he's filled with the Holy Spirit. And um, anyway, to get this long story short, uh, Stephen, in just a few chapters later, is stoned to death. And it's the first martyr, the first Christian martyr. Um, what we find at the beginning of Acts chapter 8 is a man that is standing there giving his approval over this death. That man's name is Saul. And Saul is a Pharisee. Everybody knows Saul. He's like the religious dude. He is the man. He's got a resume, a resume out the wazoo. I don't know what a wazoo is, but he's got a resume that would be out it. And everyone knows that this dude, like, as far as religion goes, is there. His job is to persecute, to snuff out this new movement called the way, or what we call Christianity. His job is to go find these house churches and drag them, the women and the children out, and he would kill them, effectively trying to end this new movement. But what we know, Jesus said, is not even the gates of hell will prevail against his church. And so one of these movements, or I guess one of these, he, he got orders or papers or whatever it is, and he's on this road that's going to lead him to Damascus on his way to fulfill taking a, a stop in the church. And Jesus blinds him. <laughs> hey, Jesus, if you're going to get my attention, can you not blind me, please? <laughs> like any other way, right? And he's on his way, and he's got his boys with him, and he blinds Saul. And I want you to notice, if you go back and read this story, this might be familiar to you, but he stops him and he says, Saul, why do you persecute me? Hey, be careful what you say about the church. Because right there, Jesus calls the church, or Paul's, Saul is persecuting the church, and Jesus, or Jesus says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And blinds him, and then he sends him to this Christian, this guy named Ananias' house, and Ananias lays hands on him, the, the scales fall off his eyes. He becomes, he's able to see. Now, I'll, I'll tell you all of that to say, this was, a, this was a church persecutor who becomes a Christ pursuer. That's tweetable. He's a church persecutor who finds Jesus. He's got a new twist on life. He's like, man, this makes sense. Everything that I'm living for, this Old Testament law, we're looking for a Messiah. The whole Jewish faith is leading to this one key figure, and I found him. Actually, he found me, but I found him. And now he's turned that religious zeal that he had for persecuting the church into planting the church. His name is still Saul, but he goes by Paul most of the time. It's kind of like a, I don't want to be referred to as that anymore. Please call me Paul. So, Paul, uh, he, he, gets, uh, he, he gets this new commission from the church. 
They're like, you take this zeal, and instead of going in and stopping churches, we want you to take this energy, this excitement, this knowledge, and we want you to go plant churches. And as a matter of fact, we're going to give you this other guy to help you. His name is Barnabas. So when you read through the New Testament, you're going to read, and if you're going through the story, you're going to read letters that are most, most of the time they're written by Paul. In every one of Paul's letters, there is some allusion to or a just clear mention of a church being unified. One of my chief responsibilities as your pastor is to make sure that our church is unified. And the most uh, unifying thing is the gospel of Jesus. And so, man, I think that we need to spend a moment talking about unity. But before we get to that, um, there's, this, there's this part of unity that we don't grasp well. And the, a part of, of having unity is knowing how to fight and fight well and fight fair and to fight in a healthy way. There was this time I was uh, 17, and when you're 17, you know it all, you know. I wish I could just go back to when I knew everything or was confident in the things that I thought I knew about everything. And there was this moment in my life where it's like my dad wouldn't let me do what I wanted. What is he doing? Get out of my way, bro. I'm 17. I'm about to graduate high school here in, in uh, like, however long. And so I, I don't remember what it's about, but, man, I wish God would show me this scene so I can see how dumb I was when I get to heaven. I just want a glimpse of this. I don't want you to show me all of it. It was just a glimpse. Me and my dad. Now, I'm five foot eight right now. Oh, now I'm five foot nine. I was five foot eight, and at the time, 155 pounds. As lean as 155 pounds could be. People were scared of me, believe it or not. Don't believe that. <laughs> they weren't. Especially not my dad, who's like six foot three, and every bit of, at the time, he was, he's a big dude, okay? And my fists are the size of like, I don't know, a tennis ball. My dad's fists are the size of Thor's hammer. They are huge. And so we're standing toe-to-toe, like in the living room, nobody else in the house. I've never punched someone in the face before uh, in, at that moment or now. Anyway, we're standing there, and my dad smirks, and he's like, you want to hit me, don't you? Like We're fighting about probably something dumb. You want to hit me right now, don't you? Yeah, I do. Do it. And I got all this courage, and my heart starts beating, and I start sweating a lot. People call that adrenaline. And I'm, like, ready to swing. And then I thought, okay, hold on. If I punch my dad, he's going to punch me back. And that fist is the size of my whole face in circumference. And I will not get off this floor. You know, your parents will threaten that. If I knock, there will be two hits, me hitting you, you hitting the floor, and you're not going to get up, you know. That would have been true. I wouldn't be standing here. So I thought, you know what? The best thing for me to do is get my stuff and leave. And I left. This wasn't like go to the garage and pout. This is like go move my stuff out kind of move. The thing is, is we don't know how to fight in a healthy way. And the problem we have as a culture and even as the church is that we don't know how to have healthy conflict. You've met one of those couples, they've been dating for like six or seven months, and they're just so in love, and uh, they can't wait to get married, and you start to meet, talk to them, and hey, look, this is a great stage to be in. 
I love it. You know, they pull up to pick you up, and you got butterflies in your stomach, you know. Oh, it's so fun, so fun. Um, Ten years later, I still have those. It's usually after, oh, good, I wasn't going to say the joke part. That's true. Oh, <laughs> oh I'll just go back to that. Um, but you start to talk about them, and they're like, oh, you start talking to them about their relationship. Yeah, we have a, we have a great relationship. We've never even had a fight. Aww. <laughs> oh, really? Now, at six or seven months, that's still probably not okay. Uh, you you got to fight. Like you get to a year in, and you haven't fought. Like if, you, if you're engaged, and you haven't fought, come see me. I'll, 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 I'll get you guys to fight. I'm good at that. No, I'm serious. I'm serious. Do premarital counsel with me. I'll make you fight. I promise. And you'll be good at it when you're done. No, I, that's not a joke. Seriously, if you're married and you can't fight well, come see me. We will fight together. And uh, it, it's good. It's so good because then you make me feel better about my life. The thing is, is you got to fight. You have to. You have to have conflict. You, you can't have a good relationship without conflict. But you also know the other couple who you start talking about fighting, and they're like, oh, shoot, baby, we do that for a hobby. It's like, that's not good either. <laughs> so you got to be able to fight, have conflict in a healthy way. And so I think for you, just us as people, but even more so as Christ followers, we've got to be able to have conflict and do it in a healthy way, especially if we as the church are going to be unified uh, in the gospel of Jesus. So Paul, he starts all these churches with his boy Barnabas, and um, their first, we call them missionary journeys, he had three. His first one, him and Barnabas went and planted all this church, all these churches. And man, I'd love for you to go back and read from Acts 9, where, where Saul has his transformation, to Acts 15. You, Go back and read that. You'll see that we're not the first generation to deal with racial issues. And uh, we believe that. This sermon's not about that, but we believe that uh, the gospel has the answers. But a lot happens between Acts 10 and, and Acts 15. We get to the end of Acts chapter 15. Hey, if you need a Bible, uh, we're going to be in it for a few minutes. So uh, Gina looks like she has three because uh, I forgot to order some this week. So if you need a Bible, just throw your hand up and she'll bring you one. You can have it. We want that to be your Bible. It's always bittersweet when we need Bibles because that means you're taking them and you're taking them home and you're reading them. But then it also means we've got to buy more. So however the Holy Spirit speaks to you there. Um, if you want to follow along on the YouVersion Bible app, uh, pull your phone out and you can download the Bible app or the Restore Church app. Uh, you can follow along with us there. This is really a, a unique and great passage of Scripture. Um, and this is where we are in Acts chapter 15, verses 36 to 41. I can't wait to read this with you. This is so good. It says this, sometime later, so the really just means next. Luke who's writing Acts. So the next thing that happened, um, Paul said to Barnabas, uh, let us return and visit, uh, let, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaimed the word of the Lord. And let's see how they are. Uh, who wants a gold star and yell out uh, Barnabas's name? Uh, what, what does Barnabas mean? Yeah, encourager or the son of encouragement. Now, when we, when we talk about Barnabas and his name, 
I mean, you can think of an encourager like um, your, your, your son or daughter's learning how to walk, and you're like, oh, that's great, good job, good, good step. I don't know, I'm kind of a few years removed from that, but uh, good job. Or, or an encourager like a, um, a mom who's just saying, man, that picture's beautiful. Go hang it up on the fridge so I can throw it away in six months. You know, it, you're, you're doing great. You can think of encourager like that. But when you see Barnabas, the son of encouragement, what you need to do is think about a high school football coach, because football is everything right now. Uh, uh, and, and when you think of a high school football coach, um, there's two aspects to this. There's one that your kid come, your, your player comes out, and he's worn out from, from his home life. He's worn out from a seven-hour work day at school, man, that's tough. You know, he's, he's just exhausted, and his girlfriend broke up with him, and now he's date, she's dating his best friend. You know, it's tough being in high school. And so you, you put your arm around and say, dude, look, let me tell you something. In five years, you're going to forget all about this. But right now, I need you to focus on football because that's what's most important. You know, like, there's, there's, there is this comforting thing about being a football coach. But then there's another part about being a football coach where you grab him by the face mask and you put your forehead on his helmet and you can't say what you want to say, right, because the Holy Spirit's real. And you can't say what you want to say because the parents can hear you. And so you do this. You grab their face mask and you go, <laughs> get out of here. And he knows what you mean. Like there is a strong part of encouragement. And sometimes a part of encouragement is that. Hey, you know better, dude. What are you doing? You know how you do that with your kids. And it's all right, dude. Sometimes winning isn't everything. Or sometimes being right isn't always the best thing. But then there are other times it's like, dude, what are you doing? Like, you know better. And sometimes we got to do that with our friends. That's Barnabas, the encourager. Paul, if you don't know Paul, Paul is a driven human being. He's a go-getter, self-starter. He just wakes up and goes. He doesn't even need coffee. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's just weird like that. And Paul says to Barnabas, let's return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord. That's their first missionary journey. And let's see how they're doing. Now this, this, let's see how they're doing. That's not like visit, get a couple cookies. Hey, I'm glad you guys are doing good. Tell your mom and them. I said, hey, we're out. This is a, hey, let's spend some time here. Let's care for them. Let's love them. Let's check on the health of their church. Let's check on their life. Let's check on their marriage. Let's check on their families. Verse 37 is important. Now, Barnabas, uh, go back one time. Uh, Barnabas wanted to take with them John, also called Mark. This Mark is the author of the Gospel of Mark, John Mark. Also happens to be Barnabas' cousin. Okay, that's important. All right, let's go to verse 38. Uh, Verse 38 says, But Paul thought best not to take with them the one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and not gone with them to the work. This, I don't know what translation this is, but this is really good. This is a really good translation. So the NIV says, But Paul did not think it was wise to take him, because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. Deserted. 
them is what the NIV says. This says the one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia, verse 39. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, and Paul took Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Um, so basically, Paul and, and Barnabas, they have this disagreement. Paul's like, I'm going to take uh, John Mark, and I'm going to go to my home area. I'll carry out ministry here. Uh, Paul's like, I'm going to take Silas and go to my home area, and I'm going to carry out ministry here. Here's what I want you to see. Go, can you go back one slide for me real quick? I, I really want to talk about this, verse 38, uh, but Paul thought it, best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia, or if you're following along in the NIV or in the Version app or in the, uh, in the Restore app, it's going to say, but Paul did not think it wise because he had, because John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia. I want to uh, see if you know uh, the English word that we pull from this Greek word deserted. I'm going to say the Greek word and see if you know the English word. The Greek word is apostasia. Yeah, apostatize. The word apostatize. You know what that means? It means to flip your religious or political beliefs. Some of y'all know what that's like. You post these nine-page things on Facebook, hoping to apostatize everybody to believe what you believe, right? And it's probably worse. You probably have a high success rate. I'm sure of it. Hold on. Listen to this. Paul thought it was not wise to take with them John Mark because he had deserted them. He had apostatized while they were in Pamphylia. I like this translation. They had uh, best not to take with them the one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia. And Paul being the driven, I've got a mission, I've got to go, I don't want a lot, a lot of loose baggage. He's like, I'm not taking this cat with me anymore. And Barnabas is like, come on, man, he can do it. It probably was actually something like this. Paul's sitting around, his fingers are going, he's getting itchy. Hey, Barnabas, dude, we got to do something. Like, we got to go, we can't just sit around. Uh... What's next? Barnabas is like, ah, I don't know. Um, I like your idea, though. It's a really great idea, Paul. We should, do, we should go do something. Hey, let's go to all those churches that we just planted, and let's check on them. Maybe I'll get to preach a little bit more. Maybe we can start a campus or second service. Maybe we, we can start a new church or something. And Barnabas is like, that's a great idea. Hmm. Let's take John Mark. Oh, I, I don't think that's a, a good idea. Don't you remember what happened in Pamphylia? Of course I remember what happened in Pamphylia, but John Mark's young and he's my cousin. And so come on, man, let's just give him another chance. There is no way on this earth that I'm going to take John Mark with me. They're trying to kill me out here, Barnabas, and this guy's flipping and flopping, and I can't decide, I can't tell what he believes. I don't think he knows what he believes, and I'm not going to put my life on the line from some young punk who just wants to do whatever's comfortable. Barnabas is like, Paul, dude, how about grace? And Jesus saved you. 
And now you can't show a little bit of grace to John Mark. He's young. He didn't sign up for this. Dude, I don't care what you say. I got a mission to accomplish, and that's to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm not going to take this kid. Well, I'm not going anywhere without him. So what is it? Well, dude, you go your way. I'll go my way. I'll take Silas. Fine. I'll take John Mark with me. When we read this word that they had a, uh, go to verse 40. Um, well, let me find it here. Uh, when it says in verse 39, they had a sharp disagreement. This isn't tea and crumpets, and they have a discussion of where do you want to go, where do I want to go. Uh, this is a shouting match. Who won? I don't know who won. I, I couldn't tell you who lost, but here's, here's the thing that I want, I want you to show you. This disagreement did not end their relationship or their ministry. It says that Barnabas went his way and took on the ministry there, and John Mark went his way and took the ministry there. Uh, Barnabas took John Mark with him. Look, I think if we as a church, I think the church should be the leading, the leader in everything. <laughs> I think the world or the outside society should be looking at the church to figure out the best practices in business, the best practices in uh, in uh, philanthropy, I think they should be looking at the church for the best practices at everything. Even healthy conflict. And so I think this morning what, what we should talk about is how to have godly conflict, how to have healthy conflict. And what I, I want you to see is that it's possible. Um, some of you are like, I just hate fighting with my spouse because all we do is yell at each other. Okay, that's not good. Um, you shouldn't always yell, but you shouldn't be trying to avoid conflict. You should be able to have it, have conflict, and do it in a healthy way. And so let's talk about some keys to uh, godly conflict resolution, okay? Uh, if you're a Christian or not a Christian, you should uh, write these down because these, these could help you. The first thing, which seems kind of simple, um, is that resolution is the goal. Resolution is the goal. You know what the goal of of conflict is not, it's not to win. And the goal of conflict is not to be right or to come out on top. The goal of conflict is when you're finished to have a resolution. Think about the last fight you had with your spouse if you're married, which might have been this morning. Sunday's mornings are weird, aren't they? Like it's like you don't really have a good fight all week until Sunday morning and you're getting ready for church. It's like, I don't know. Um, not me because I leave before my family's awake on Sunday morning. So that's how I avoid that. Um, no, no, no. I mean, think about the last, uh, the last argument you had. What, what was your goal in that? Was it just to get them to, if I could just get you to see what I'm saying. Well, you know what? If you just yell louder, I'll get it. 
Um, hey, Ken Sandy, uh, he wrote a book. It's called Peacemaker. It's really good. It's based off the book or the, the verse in Matthew called Blessed are, or the verse in Matthew uh, chapter 5. It says, Blessed are the peacemakers. And the first, he says, the first step to finding resolution is before you actually fight to ask yourself, is it worth it? He says something like 80% of our arguments with our spouse or with our coworkers or our colleagues are arguments over things that aren't worth it. You know, like the wet towel and the bathroom floor. And, uh, you know, let's just say, uh, you know, uh, she comes out with a wet towel and she says, what is this? Well, that's a towel. Why is it in the bathroom floor? Because that's where towels are. Well, why am I holding it? I don't know. I've been waiting for you to tell me this. And then the fight just builds. And then before you know it, you guys know what this is like. You're fighting about something that has nothing to do with the wet towel. And the wet towel is on the floor again. Or you're getting whipped with it. I don't know how you fight. But, but you, you see, the point is sometimes we cause arguments about things that really don't matter. And in the grand scheme of things, listen, if you can let it go, let it go. It's not worth it. And so the first part of conflict resolution is... If you don't have to fight about it, don't. If it's not a big deal, then, then don't make it into one. Hey, while we're talking about uh, resolution being the goal, uh, I want to help you in your, uh, in your resolution or in, in conflict resolution, but you, sh- you should memorize this. It comes from Dr. Stephen Covey. Uh, he writes a book called uh, Seven uh, what is it? Highly Effective Habits. Of Somebody say it loud. All right, that. Uh, habits of highly effective people or leaders, or yeah, that sounds right. And uh, one of those habits, uh, he says, uh, seek to be understood, or seek to understand, then be understood. And what that means is shut up and listen. And don't listen to respond. Y'all know what I'm talking about. You're in a fight with your spouse, and they say something, and you're like, oh, yeah, I know how I'm going to respond to that. And the last 30 seconds is them apologizing for that, you know, for the first part. And then you jump all over their case. They're like, you know what? Forget the apology. It is on. Meet me outside. How about that? <laughs> That's the second time. Second time. Catch me outside. Sorry. Um, I think when you get an argument, it will not end well. It will not end well if the goal is for you to win or to be right. Hey, married couples, I just want to tell you something. If you're in a fight with your spouse and your goal is to win, that means the person you care about the most in this world has lost. And however you've gotten there, um, you should repent and ask for forgiveness. And that brings us to the second part of conflict resolution. The relationship always matters. It always matters. You might not know the person. They might be a uh, cashier and you just ripped them a new one, what's going to happen when they walk into the lobby here at Restore Church, and you're in there too, and you're like, oh, hey, how's your new one? (laughs) That just ripped you uh, yesterday. (laughs) Relationships always matter. Hey, uh, if you are a a boss or married or whatever, this is another phrase you should, should, a question you should always ask. Man, I, I love Talking about marriage, you guys know that. I love to preach about marriage. I think one of the keys to getting America to making America great again is not a presidential candidate. It's making our marriages great and strong again. And, uh, and so, you know, a lot of, of what I say can be pertaining there. 
ask this question when you're arguing. Instead of how do I win or how do I get my point across, you need to ask this question. How do we get through this better together? Better together. That doesn't just go to married couples, although if you were to decide, hey, let's get through this better together, what it does is instead of you guys fighting against each other, you are on the team together trying to fight against whatever the issue might be. And even if you're at fault, you're on her side. Or even if you're at fault, you're on his side, still trying to figure out how to fix the solution. So you've got to be better together. And uh, that, goes to, that goes for you guys who are leading a crew or a staff or, or with your coworkers. Like you will change your workplace if every conflict that comes up, you just pause everyone. And it's like, look, the argument is not between me and Alan over here. The, let's try to be all on the same team and figure out a best solution. I think when our staff started talking about this a year ago, um, this, is, this, this really um, can create some good solutions in your workplace, uh, when you're out to eat. Um, and in, in your marriage, too. Um, so just think about, uh, think about how this question could change your conflicts or, or past conflicts, past fights that you've had. <clears throat> I want to uh, share one question for you as far as uh, the relationship matters. And um, sometimes when people criticize us, what's the first thing that we do? It's, it comes from ancient philosophers. We go, nuh-uh. <laughs> We put our defense up, right? We learn it when we're kids. No, I'm not. You are, you know. Like, when we receive some kind of criticism, we, we just, like, put our defense up. And we say, that can't be true. And so I learned this from, again, a great philosopher. His name is Sir Charles Barkley. Um, okay, you got that one. The Tom Haverford joke last week, you didn't get. But the Charles Barkley, you guys get it. Because that week last, that joke last week, it was terrible. It was a terrible joke. No? Right? Yeah. Charles Barkley, that's, that's not bad. Charles Barkley, that's terrible. I'm terrible. That's the only word I can do. Anyway. I want to prove to you right now that I can do more, but I'm not going to. All right. He said uh, he was being interviewed by uh, Ryan Rosillo, and uh, he said, man, tell me about your relationship between you and LeBron James. He's like, we got a great relationship. And he's like, no, I saw LeBron James uh, tweet. I saw LeBron James at you. <laughs> and he said, uh, and, and he, was, he was angry. He's like, listen, this is the problem. This is Sir Charles Barkley saying this. He said, this is the problem with this generation is they can't take criticism. And as soon as someone criticizes them, us, me, I'm in LeBron James' generation, really goes to show you I haven't done much in my life. You know, LeBron James is making millions, but he plays for the Lakers and he sucks. So anyway, I, um, uh, um, 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 he says, this is the problem with this generation. They can't take criticism. And Charles Barkley says, listen, if, you, if someone has a criticism of you, your first, obje- your first thing should not be objection. And say, oh, no, it's not. Your first question should be, do they have a point? Do they have a point? And so when you're talking about the relationship and you're in the middle of a conflict and you realize your defense is up, you need to just pause and say, hmm, do they have a point? I told you guys about a month ago about uh, 
uh, we were in a meeting with our Oktoberfest planning team, and uh, my wife had, a, had an idea, and I didn't think it was a good idea, which means it was a good idea. The rest of the group thought it was a great idea, I guess. I really don't know. I've tried to forget this scene, but anyway, um, I just couldn't wrap my little mind around what her idea was, what everyone was trying to do. And I guess in the middle of all of this, like my questions and the way that I was asking and the way that I was posturing myself was not like I would if anybody else in the group would have brought up that idea. And she brought this up to me in the car. You know, the car is the worst place to fight because you can't go anywhere. And, you know, like you could try to turn up the radio, but they can just turn it off. <laughs> so just wait till you get out of the car. And uh, so we're in the car, and she, she brought it up, and, and she just said, look, I, I've, I, you've never treated me like that before. My defense was, you're just taking this personal. She said, but if anybody else would have come up with that idea, you would have been like, that's a great idea. And I was like, no, I wouldn't have because I still don't get the idea. She's like, it's not about you getting an idea. And I'm like, you better calm down. And she, no, she didn't get excited. It's like, she said, it's, it's not about you getting the idea. It's the way you treated me. And I said, Aaron, I didn't treat you any different. And, and then it's like, hold on. I think she has a point. Because uh, while she was talking, this is a good barometer for you when you're in a fight. I found myself getting worked up over defending myself instead of finding the truth of what really happened. Instead of trying to get through this thing better together. And it's like, dude, Charles Barkley's a genius. She has a point. So I paused and she was still going on. I said, hold, hold, hold on, hold on, just stop it. I'm sorry. <laughs> And I'll say it again later, but right now I'm still mad. I'm mad that I'm wrong here. Anyway, do they have a point? Get this better together. Um, this next one is for Christ followers. So if you're a Christian, this next one really is for you. If you're not a Christian, it could be for you. And, and here it is. Uh, the third thing is you belong to Jesus. Um, so act like it. When you're in an argument or in a conflict, act like Jesus. When you're finished with your whatever you want to call it. My grandfather calls it, you guys know this, don't you? I say it all the time, but I love it and I'll never stop saying it. He calls it intense fellowship. <laughs> when him and his, my grandmother get in an argument or he gets in an argument with anyone, he calls it intense fellowship. Um, but when you are involved in these intense fellowships, um, when, you're, when your significant other or the person you're arguing with or your coworker, when they leave, can they say, man, we had conflict, but they treated me like Jesus did? Like when they walk away, could, could you say, man, I just, I just treated them the same way Jesus would have? And Jesus didn't pull any punches. He told the truth, and sometimes the truth hurts, but he also showed grace and mercy and patience, and he listened. And so when you're in an argument, remember who you are. You belong to Jesus but also remember whose you are. You belong to Jesus. So no matter what they say to you, and no matter how you feel after that argument, and no matter how bad that person tore you down, or no matter how awful they thought your idea might have been, when that conflict is over, you still belong to Jesus. Hold your head up high. They might not have treated you like Jesus, but Jesus treats you like Jesus. And so... 
Um, you belong to Jesus. Here's the, here's the last thing. Is the kingdom of God for a Christ follower has to be first. <clears throat> and what this might mean, sometimes you might have to take an L. You know what I mean? Like sometimes you, have to take a, you might have to take a loss. One of the coolest things we're doing at uh, the Oktoberfest is we're going to set up a photo booth. And uh, the photo booth, it's going to have like hay around it. You know, it's, it's going to be pretty cool. And the way that's going to be set up is we're just going to, this isn't a restore thing. It's just, hey, there's a free place to come take a picture with you and your friends. You know, it's like a real life, uh, um, I don't know, filter. What do you call these things? When you're Snapchatting and you're like filters. Real life filter. Dude, I'm getting so cool. This is all so fun. Anyway, so it's like a real life filter. You don't have to do anything except just take a picture of you. And the way that it's set up, listen to the genius behind this idea. The way that it's set up to take this picture is the restore stuff is going to be behind us. It's going to be behind them. And so when people take pictures of themselves at the Oktoberfest, they're like, hey, we out here. And then they post it on Facebook. They're not going to have any idea, but behind them it's going to say, hashtag for Jacksonville Restore Church. That's a good idea, isn't it? That's my wife's idea that I shut down the other day in a meeting. Sometimes, for the sake of the kingdom, you're going to have to take an L. You're going to have to take a loss because the kingdom's not about you. The kingdom's not about me. It's not about your idea. It's not about you being bigger than your husband and proving him right or proving you right or proving him wrong. It's not about any of that. The kingdom of God is about Jesus first. And what's it going to take to advance the kingdom of God? And it's going to look like sending an email to the rest of your group and saying, guys, I'm an idiot, and I'm sorry, and that's not what your leader should look like, and that's not how any man, out, Christian or not, should treat his wife. You see what I'm saying? And so when you're in a conflict I mean, that's, that's a lot to think about when you're in conflict. You're going to be in an argument with your spouse later, and you're just going to be sitting there like blank face, trying to remember all the things to remember. And I'm like, are you even listening? <sighs> yes. Again, listen first. I know, man. But if you're a Christian, man, the kingdom of God has to be first. Jesus says it like this. They will know you're my disciples by the way you what? You love one another. And so inside the church, you're fighting or as the kids would say, you're beefing with somebody. Are you loving them still? Because that's how Jesus said they, the people outside of the church, will know that we're unified by the way that we love one another. Um, let's wrap up this story. Because the story of, John, of, of Paul and John Mark and Barnabas isn't over. It actually wraps up at the end of, of Paul's life. Now, remember, I told you about the letters, right? Well, at the end of Paul's life, he writes a letter to someone he calls, or his name is Timothy. Timothy's the preacher of a church at Ephesus. So when you read, when you read about the church at Ephesus or the letter to Ephesians, it's in the Bible. Um, Timothy is, is the leader of that church. He's really young. And so I, I love reading First and Second Timothy because uh, Paul says things like, you've not been given a spirit of fear or timidity, but a spirit of power and love and self-discipline. I, I love the letters of 1st and 2nd Timothy. 2nd Timothy, Paul's in prison, and every time that Paul's in prison, he thinks that his next step is going to be death. We know the whole story. 
uh, we know that he's going to get out of that imprisonment, but he doesn't. And so imagine dads writing a letter to your son, and it's the last thing that you have to say. Actually, if I were to write a book, it would be on this next passage we're going to look at. I'm not going to write a book, but if I were, it would be on this one. Uh, there's just so much here, and um, uh, I, want, I want you to look at this. This is 2 Timothy verses 9 uh, to 13. I want to tell you about my book idea, but we don't have time. Yeah, we do have time. Man, we're going good. I'm going to tell you about my book idea in a second. This is what he says. All right, listen, the final moments of his life, Paul writes to Timothy, and he says, Do your best to come to me soon. And I will say quickly, to come to me soon. For Demas, in love of the present world, has... He's deserted me. He's apostasied me. He's flipped because of his love for the world. And he's gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. I want you to know this, that Crescens and Titus, they did not apostatize. These are still two Christ followers who are, uh, who are dedicated to the kingdom of God. Verse 10. Only Luke is with me now. Uh, no, you had it. Uh, it's the TV. It's all the buttons. Only Luke is with me now. Ho, ho. Check this out. Get Mark and bring him with you so I can show him how right I've been my whole life. I've planted like 15 churches, and I didn't need his sorry apostatizing tail to do it. Barnabas was wrong about that cat. Right? Bring him to me so I can prove my point. What he says is, get Mark, same Mark, and bring him with you, for he's useful to me for ministry. In the NIV, he says, for he is very useful to me in my ministry. Tychicus, I've sent to Ephesus, and when you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus. Uh, at Troas, also the books, and above all, the parchments. Uh, so good. Oh, this is quickly. I just want to, the Bible's got to come to life for you for a second, okay? It's going to come to life. Get ready. Don't jump out of your seat when all this happens. Some of you have talked about this with before. This is my favorite thing, I think, in the whole Bible. It comes to life right now. Paul lives out the book of Acts, right? He, he sees it all. Um, um. John Mark writes his gospel. It's the first one written, but he writes it from the perspective of Peter. The gospel of Mark, most scholars believe, is Peter's gospel, but Mark wrote it. Remember, he's very young. And Mark wasn't a disciple, but Peter was. And so Peter saw everything. So we think that John Mark's gospel, the gospel of Mark, is Peter's. Peter also lived out the first nine chapters. He's like the subject of the nine, first nine chapters of the book of Acts. Who's the subject of the last uh, 18 chapters of Acts? It's Paul who wrote the gospel, of, or who wrote the story of Acts. It was Luke. Now, when you read through Acts, you're going to read that it's third person, him, they, uh, they went, he went. And then all of a sudden, it switches to first person, plural, we went. And so you can deduce that at that moment, Luke is now with them. 
But then it'll transition out. It goes back to third person. So Luke's not with them. So how does Luke get the rest of Acts? Well, it might be in this scene when Titus or when Timothy brings John Mark to Paul where Luke is there. We also believe that Luke's gospel, he uses the gospel of Mark as his template. And so could it be that in this scene, Luke has the gospel of Mark as his template, and so he writes his first volume. And then he's also got Peter's first account of what happened with Mark, and he's got all Luke's accounts of what happened, and so he writes volume two, which is the book of Acts. I think it happens here. Here's what I also want you to see, dads, fathers, check this out. Paul calls Timothy his son in the faith. Paul thinks his next step is to die, and he's not going to be able to, to protect and to love his son anymore. So he gets his son in a room with Mark and Luke. That's a grown man move. That's a Christ follower move. It's like, I want you to follow these guys when I die. All right, that's the end of my book. That's good stuff, dude. That is good stuff. has nothing to do with the sermon, but that's the Bible coming to life, and it shows you that it happens in real time. Okay, cool. Um, I get the highlight of this is to get Mark and bring him with you, for he's very useful to me for ministry. How and when? Because it's hard for me to think of someone who puts my life in jeopardy for my one, for my one God-given uh, purpose. And this dude's putting my life in jeopardy. I don't know that I really want to look at you anymore. But at, at what point does he become useful for his ministry? At what point does Mark get it together? Time doesn't heal all things, but it heals some things. And I can't help but to think that at some point there was another conversation had. Maybe it was Mark coming to Paul, saying something like, dude, I'm, I'm sorry. I spent some time with Barnabas, and he really showed me, man, I, I can't believe I did that. You guys ever made some young, dumb decisions? Have you apologized for them? Maybe that's what happened. Or maybe it was Paul who found Mark and was like, dude, I should have took you. I should have took you with me. I should have given you a second chance. Or maybe they both see that, that the kingdom of God is bigger and that they saw that it was good for Paul to go on his second missionary journey with Silas and it was good for Mark to go spend time with Barnabas. Whatever happened, I want you guys to notice the kingdom of God was first. Neither one of them let this thing decide or define who they were. They, both belong, they all belong to Jesus. I want you to see that, um, that the relationships matter. And they might not have, like, in that moment, in that scene, they might not have liked each other very much, but look at what happens later. Their relationships matter, and that at some point it was resolved. Um, I just want to talk about the ultimate conflict resolution. And that's between Jesus 
That's between God and us. You know, uh, I spent that like whole month away from my family when I when I left, and uh, I would sneak back into the house to get my stuff, like my baseball stuff. Uh, that's really all that mattered. So I'd just come and get my baseball stuff, maybe some clothes here and there, some shoes. But it would always be while they were gone. And uh, one thing I know now is like my dad never changed the locks or never changed the garage code, like simple things that could have kept me out. Uh, it just so happened that, I don't know why, but my car was left unlocked and the seat and the, the keys are in the seats. Like, God, you got my back here, dude. Could have been that my dad just set it up for that to happen when I came back to get my car. Um, but this whole time I'm gone, like my phone bill still being paid for, my health insurance, I, I'm assuming is being, was still being paid for. And then I just like, I wanted to come back home. But I didn't want to come back home to, to see my dad. Here's why I wanted to come back home. I saw my sister at school, in high school. We were in high school together. So I saw her there. But, you know, I miss with my brothers. They were, I think, like four and one at the time. And you guys know how much fun that is. And especially as a brother because you don't have to discipline them. You just get to have fun and let them run wild. Uh, I just missed them. And I... One day I called my dad and said, Dad, can I come back home? Can you imagine the joy, you as a father, being on the other end? And your son was two seconds away from punching you with his little weak hands. And now he's calling you and saying, hey, can I come back home? Yeah, man, I'd love for you to come back home. And I remember my dad saying exactly that. Dude, you're always welcome to come back home. But you know what drew me back home? It was not my dad. It was the relationship I had with my brothers. It's a special relationship. I want to say this. There might be some of you in here that need to get your relationship with someone else in this room right. Maybe you've been hurt by them. Maybe they've hurt you. Maybe there's someone you're sitting next to and you need to ask for forgiveness. Or maybe you need to grant forgiveness that you've been withholding. Because the relationship between us, brothers and sisters, as Christ followers, that's that's how we are identified as Christ followers, is how we love one another. If we're not loving one another, we're just like every other civic club that means filled with gossip and slander, and he said, she said. You know what would have been weird is for me to walk into my house and walk right past my dad and go right to my brothers, pick him up, say, oh, I'm so happy to be home. I'm good to be home. I love you. I I missed you so much. And then think about like dinner time, just coming around the table and sitting there while my dad is still sitting there, and then just me talking with my brothers like, tell me something you learned, and then, you know, dinner's over, and you go downstairs, and you, you turn on the TV, and you start watching the game, and it's like, you know, you're, you're home, but there's something that needs to be addressed between me and my father. And that might make you uncomfortable in your seat, but there might be something you need to address between you and your father. Because we can't have true conflict resolution between, you, between us 
if there's no common ground in Christ. So it might mean today that you're asking Jesus, that you're asking God to let you come back. I I know what he's going to say. I know what he's going to say, and I think you do too. Of course you can come back. I'd love for you to come back. The joy, actually he tells the, the joy he would have is that as you would be walking down the street, he would get up and sprint to you and say, welcome back. I'd love to have you home. So maybe that's you. Maybe you've been away for too long and it's time to come back. Uh, we'd love to, God would love to have you and we would love to have you as a part of the family, not just our church family. Um, check this out. It's the last thing I'll read right here. Paul wrote Romans. Paul's whole life was to, his whole life goal was to get to Rome. He felt like if he could get to Rome, then he could get to Spain, and that if he could get to Spain, the gospel of Jesus would take over the whole world. So he never got to Rome on his own power. He got arrested. They took him to Rome. And uh, again, that, that's what we know as the end of Paul's life. We don't know what happened, but we just know that the end of Paul's life was he was in Rome. And so he writes this book of uh, the book that we have, Romans, which is basically the gospel. And he's like, if I can't get to Rome, I want him to read what I would say. And we get to chapter 5, and this is what uh, he writes. This isn't on the screen. You just have to listen. It says this, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. Listen to this. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through Jesus? For if, listen, for if, while we were God's enemies... We were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled now, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. I didn't want to get hit by my dad, but now to think about the wrath of the almighty, all-powerful God that's weighing down on you and like pinpointed on you, that's terrifying. And it's like, but while you were still an enemy of God, they weren't waiting for us to be like, okay, God, I love you. And he's like, okay, I'll send Jesus now, now that you love me. He's like, I'm going to send Jesus even if you choose not to love me. And even while you are an, my enemy, I'm going to make a way for this conflict to be resolved. Love people like that. And watch your life change. But I think the ultimate life change is realizing that someone loved you like that. And loves you like that. Hey, let's pray. God, we love you. And uh, man, we thank you for your word, which today is <clears throat> can be tough. <laughs> but God, you called us to be peacemakers. And, and you called us to, to love one another and to have unity together. And so God, guide us in that. and Lead us in that. Direct us. God, forgive us when we're conflict makers. God, forgive us when we gossip and forgive us when we 
talk about things that have nothing to do with, with, with resolving. God, forgive us when we don't love like you. But God, give us the courage to, to apply some of these principles. Give us the courage to, to forgive. Give us the courage to, in the middle of an argument, to stop and pray. Give us, really, God, make us more like Jesus so that we can, we can love the world the way that you, that you do. Um, God, we, there's, there's really not much to say when we think about the conflict resolution that you brought for the conflict between uh, us and you. And thanks seems so insignificant. But, um, but God, thank you. Thank you for Jesus and his life, and his sacrifice, and his death on the cross. But God, we thank you that didn't stay there, but that he walked out of that tomb, and where death turned into hope. So, uh,